And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother Philip, and Bartholomew, and Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning, and we thank you for your word, which is a light to us. We ask that you would send your Spirit to guide us this morning. Would you please use this passage to encourage and comfort the weary, the burdened? Would you use this passage to confront and convict the backslidden child? Would you use this passage to open up the eyes and soften the hearts of those who do not know you? We pray this asking for your help. Amen. In the 1700s, there were a group of friends that would get together regularly for a time of fellowship. These group of friends would talk about everything and anything, from life, from family, to uh, what was taking place in the kingdom. They were from the UK, so not America. So they would talk about the king and the queen, or the, the, I think at that time it would have been the king. They would sit down and they would talk about theology. They would send notes of encouragement and motivation to one another to keep pressing forward. They would pray for one another at these times of gathering. And after one theological discussion in particular, the Spirit started stoking the flames in their hearts. So much so that one of them, as he, he left, he went and he wrote a treatise. That's just uh, an older way of saying a blog or an open letter to whom it may concern. And the whole entire point of this treatise was about the state of missions, about going and reaching those who are in different countries those who do not have the gospel proclaimed to them. These men loved God and had deep compassion for their neighbor. 
The guy who wrote this treatise, maybe some of you know this name, is a man called William Carey. William Carey has this uh, famous saying for missionaries. He looked at his friends as they were dreaming and imagining what this could look like to, to go to the lost, to preach and evangelize and do good works to them. And he tells them, I will go down into the pit if you hold the rope. I'll go down into the pit if you will hold the rope. And sure enough, that's exactly what happens. They send William Carey overseas and they hold the rope for him as he goes down into the pit. And, and what takes place and what is birthed is what is called the Baptist Missionary Society. The Baptist Missionary Society, 200 years later, is still sending missionaries through this conversation and this open letter that was written and this ferociousness to, to dream and imagine of what it could look like and what it should look like to go to the lost. Still to this day, there's fruit being born of that. I will go down into the pit if you hold the rope. Their love of God and compassion for the image bearer the person made in the image of God overwhelmed them and they came to the conclusion, we have to do something. We're seeing part of this start to unfold before our eyes as we've been preaching through the Gospel according to Matthew. And right now, what we're seeing is that very thing take place where Jesus is going to be calling His disciples to pray earnestly for more workers. That the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We come to this passage this morning and we're going to see a few things. As Jesus is still going around proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. He's healing every disease and every affliction. It's almost as if what Matthew is putting here is just in one verse what he has been doing. He's reminding us, you know, like on TV shows, well, the previously. I'm still old enough to remember that we couldn't just have the instant gratification of turning Netflix or Hulu on and just watching show after show after show. There were times in my life when I had to wait for the next week. And here's something that Matthew's doing. He's saying previously, he's, he's showing in this one verse in 35 what Jesus has been doing up to this point. He's been going around to villages and cities. And as he's been going around, he's been looking out, seeing groups of people and having deep compassion on them because he's wondering where all of the shepherds have gone. He's seeing harassed and helpless people. Which leads him to tell his disciples where are the workers? Let's pray that God would send the workers. And as Matthew is continuing to show us and write, then starting in chapter 10, we see Jesus give the disciples authority. He equips them. And then we get a glimpse of who these disciples that went out were. 
we see, quite frankly, to steal the phrase from a book, we see 12 ordinary disciples being equipped by Jesus to carry out the mission. So here's the aim of this message this morning. It's pretty simple for us. Because Jesus has compassion on humanity, because Jesus has compassion on the sheep, He wants more workers for the harvest. We're going to look at this in two ways this morning. Verses 35 through 36, we're going to see the compassionate shepherd. Verses 37 through 4, we're going to see the workers for the harvest. So let's look to verses 35 through 36 as we come to this passage. We see the compassionate shepherd. Matthew tells us, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. We're seeing a bit of of context here as Matthew is once again explaining what Jesus has been doing up to this point. He's been proclaiming and teaching about the gospel of the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus has come to start. This is what Jesus has come to inaugurate. The kingdom of God. And so He teaches on it. He proclaims it. Jesus is out to gather citizens for the kingdom of God. He calls them to this kingdom by calling them to repent. And to turn. But He just doesn't do that. We see a ministry in Jesus' life that is full to what the kingdom of God looks like. We see the ministry of, of the word and deed. Is this not what Paul encourages us in Colossians? That whatever we do in word and deed, we do it to the glory of God? And we see Jesus' ministry in life practically lived out being one of preaching and proclaiming the word And doing good deeds like healing people, casting out demons, feeding the multitudes. I think right now, at least in in, in the churches at large, there is this separation that has gone on for far too long. The the conversation or question that oftentimes comes out is, well, why can't I just preach the Gospel? People will get it, and when they get it, they will pull themselves up by the bootstraps that they have. They can take care of themselves. We just need to preach the Gospel and let them figure it out. And on the other hand, you've got people who will say, well, if I just serve people and I just give them things, then they will see Christ in me and they'll recognize and they'll repent and want to come to church and believe in Jesus. And yet, the model of ministry that Jesus gives us time after time is one of proclaiming the kingdom and doing the kingdom. This is the important part of this verse right here is what Jesus was proclaiming and teaching on. Because what He was proclaiming and teaching on led Him to apply that to care for people in deeds and works. What is it? It's the kingdom of God. 
Jesus has come proclaiming the kingdom of God because this is what He is inaugurating. This is what He is starting. The, The kingdom of God, it is being recognized in its fullness. So what is the kingdom of God? Is the kingdom of God just believing in Jesus? No. The kingdom of God is something so much more than just putting your trust in Jesus. It's actually becoming a citizen of the kingdom of God. As Jesus is proclaiming and preaching about the kingdom of God and calling people to become citizens of the kingdom of God, He's talking about a full person transformation. The kingdom of God embodies the spiritual and the physical. The kingdom of God embodies people putting their trust in Jesus and repenting of their sins and fleeing from the wrath to come. And it is also a change in how you love your neighbor. How you care for the oppressed. Those on the fringe of society those who may be deemed as the outcasts. And we see Jesus embodying this ministry of the kingdom of God perfectly. But why? Why? Because He looks out at the people and He sees them harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. If you've been reading through the Bible this year with the church, we this morning would have just read Psalm 145. This morning, in Psalm 145, I've been reading through the CSB. Normally I read through the ESV, but I read through the CSB. And David goes on to call God, the God of all compassion, to all of His creation. He is the God of all compassion towards His creation. And right now, as Jesus is looking out over, He sees these harassed and helpless sheep without a shepherd, and He's wondering to Himself, where have the shepherds gone? Where have the priests who are supposed to carry out their priestly duties of teaching about the kingdom, caring for the poor and the oppressed, where have they gone? They're being harassed and helpless. And and what we will see in a few chapters, at the end of chapter 11, as Jesus finishes that chapter, He he talks about the burdens that have been placed on these people by the, the priests and the Pharisees. He's looking and asking this question, where have the shepherds gone that are caring for these people with compassion, who are treating these people with dignity?
in Ezekiel, this is what Ezekiel is being told to prophesy about against the priests who are abusing their power for selfish gain. The priests who are saving the biggest portions of food for themselves while telling the rest that they were to care for, here are some scraps you can make it by. When we lose compassion for people, we lose the most basic understanding that everybody has been created in the image of God and bears the mark of a soul. This is why when Jesus is looking out, he's having compassion. His insides are being stirred. I remember one time listening to a pastor talk about the first time he really felt like he felt compassion for another person. He went on a mission trip to Germany. And part of that mission trip was these people that he went with would go and serve in the red light district of the city that they were by. The red light district being brothels and strip clubs on each side. And they told him, we're going to go and minister to the women that are on the streets. And a couple of women in particular said there's going to be a prostitute that we've been ministering to for a while, but we just want to prepare you. As they explained to him how the system worked, how, uh, how in these buildings on the lowest floor was the cheapest and on the top floor was the most expensive, that that's how it worked. But it just didn't start in the building that there were even prostitutes on the street that were the cheapest. And he said, as he walked up to this frail-looking woman, and this is his quote, he, he said, I have never seen anybody as frail as that other than looking at a Holocaust history book. She was bent over and he said, there was nothing more than I wanted to do than to run, but also just pick her up and take her out of that situation. And as they ministered to her and prayed for her and they walked away, they told him that a few things will either happen. Either she will start to receive the help or at some point within the next few years she'll die. And he said this overwhelming sense of compassion for another person started to overwhelm me and I started to realize that the compassion that I thought I had wasn't really there. That was just more of looking at somebody and patting them on their head. But this was compassion that was being birthed of the Holy Spirit. This is the type of compassion that we're reading in this picture of Jesus looking at the sheep without a shepherd and wondering where have the priests gone to care for the people's needs, to care for their spiritual needs, to care for their physical needs. So the question might come up right now, are you just talking about the, the pastor? Well, no, Peter makes very clear to us 
that we all are priests. We all have priestly duties that we pick up and we carry out. Do you have compassion? I don't know about you, but as I look at the state of what is continuing to happen in America, I can't help but have more compassion. If we look at the things that are taking place, whether it's the Roe versus Wade argument that continues to be carried out, and praise God for what's taken place. But if we look at it as simply just a political thing, then we won't have compassion on people. If all we care about is saying, let's get that overturned, and we never actually do anything to serve and care for, then it's been just a political agenda in our hearts. The racial turmoil that is being brought up. The the gender identity crisis that is being brought up. Our world is in turmoil. Do you see the helpless and harassed people? And if we look at these as political ideologies, then we won't have compassion. But if we look at these people as image bearers of God who are worthy of value because they've been created in the same image that we have, then we might be able to serve them a little bit better. The world, Satan, and their own sin is out to get them. And yet, what we've been called to do is to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God and to serve them where they're at with needs of compassion and kindness. Because Jesus' compassion just doesn't stop here, does it? We see the compassion of Jesus continue to grow more and more in His life to the point that He sees these harassed and helpless sheep being slaves to the sin that, that they are in. And He says, I will die for you. I will reconcile you back to the King. And for those who repent and trust in Me can have eternal life. Jesus tells us and shows us you are worth dignity because you've been made in the image of God. You are worth dying for. Although He was sinless, He still looked at His creation and died for it because of the overwhelming compassion He had for the harassed and helpless sheep, are we going out and proclaiming the kingdom of God? Are we out serving in deeds those who need help? What it comes down to is do we have the eyes of Christ to see past the outer appearance into the inner cry of the soul. Which that can be tricky to do. Because what that means is developing relationships. Sitting down and listening to people's stories. Hearing where they're at. And then applying the Gospel. 
And we see the compassion that comes out of Jesus as then as we move on to point two, he asks his disciples or he tells his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers, the laborers are few. Think about that. Jesus is telling his disciples that the harvest is plentiful. It's time. It's time to go and reap the harvest. In farming language, what that means, and Amber will correct me after the service if I'm wrong. It's a good thing that Judy's not here because she definitely would. But when the crops are ready to be taken, workers go out and gather the fruit. They gather the crops. The harvest is plentiful. It's full. It's ready, Jesus is saying. But the workers are little. They're few. There's not many. And what is Jesus' response right away? His first response is, therefore, pray. Do you think that is the normal response? Isn't it, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, so go out and do. But Jesus' first response is, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, so pray. There should be no reason that our Wednesday night prayer meetings are small. We should be praying earnestly together as members and a church that God would continue to send more workers out to gather the harvest. Our prayer meetings the last Wednesday of the month should be full of everybody that can possibly make it to pray earnestly that God would send out workers into the harvest. So we must pray for laborers. We must pray earnestly for workers. We must pray, 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 because this is Jesus' way to tell them, this is how you get more workers. It seems maybe like the most counterintuitive thing but God will send them if we pray for them. I don't think it's by surprise then that, that Jesus then equips them. Pray for laborers. Pray for workers. By the way, you are the workers. He equips them. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast out and to heal every disease and every affliction. God has been equipping you. God's been equipping me. God's been equipping us as a church. We have probably a thousand people behind us to serve in our neighborhood. That God is equipping us to go and reach. God has given you neighbors side by side. Some are closer than others. To love and to serve and to proclaim. And but the question that might come, well, but, but Max, can I really be a worker if I can't cast out demons or heal people like this? This is, this is the, 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 the big argument that tends to take place. 
This is the, the continuationist argument, the cessationist argument. Do these gifts still continue or have they stopped? And the answer is yes. Let me explain that quickly. The answer is yes, because are people still healed and are demons still cast out? It happens. It does. It takes place. But we see right here that Jesus specifically gave His disciples some type of authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. If we still had this type of gifting where every disease and every affliction was being healed, then mental hospitals and hospital hospitals wouldn't be full. Doctors would be out of jobs. And so we pray earnestly for healing. We pray earnestly for deliverance. Knowing that God's will is the best will. You see, we've been given something even more than the authority to do this. We've been given the Holy Spirit. And when Paul is writing to the Corinthians, because the Corinthians are arguing about this, I can speak in tongues, I can prophesy, I can teach, I can do this, I can do that. Paul tells them, simply put, the greatest type of gift that you could have is love. The greatest type of gift that, church, we could have is love. Because the love of Christ has been poured into our hearts, we pour that out for others. So the answer to that question, can I still be a worker if I can't heal people? It's yes. You've been given the Holy Spirit to carry out the task. The church here has been given the job to equip you to carry out the task. We, we need to run from this, this belief that just the, the pastors or the elders or the varsity level Christians are the ones who God has equipped to do this ministry. And we need to start believing and seeing in Scripture that God has called the moms. God has called dads. He's called attorneys, construction workers, gas station attendants, farmers, factory workers, baristas, school teachers, accountants engineers, to be the workers, to be the laborers, to go and get the harvest. That's you. That's me. We've been called to go out into the harvest as the workers to see the kingdom of God continue to expand to see gospel transformation take place for the glory of God. And so as I finish up here, this is how I'd like to finish, is with this question. At the beginning of the sermon, I, I told this story about going down into the pit and being then a rope holder. What are you? Are you a pit dweller or a rope holder? A pit dweller might be a little bit more adventurous, a little bit more on the go, a little bit more spunky and saying, I'm going to go out and do it. But the pit dweller can't go unless there's a rope holder, which a rope holder might be a little bit more administrative, might be a little bit slower when it comes to going down. You can't have one without the other. Both are equally as important. The pit dweller isn't going down into the pit without the rope holder. 
And if the rope holder is just holding the rope without a pit dweller, then they're standing there for no reason. So which one are you? And then I say, let's lean into that as a church. I want to leave with this paraphrase of a quote. The reformer John Calvin said, the duty of the Christian, the duty of the church is to make the invisible kingdom visible. It's one of the things I pray for most for you and for this church. Is that through our proclamation of the kingdom of God and through our good deeds to those around us, that the invisible kingdom would be made more visible to those around us. And that more people and more people would worship God as their king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for calling us to be workers, and we ask that you would help us to faithfully live out this task. We pray this in your Son Jesus' name.